Uh, today's sermon is unusual. It is topical, so I'm going to be sharing. Uh, we're going to be looking at several passages, actually. But Psalm 96 is a good place to, to start. So I want to read verses 1 through 9 to begin our time today. Again, if you're able, would you stand once again in honor of God's word? Psalm 96, that can be found on page 499 if you're using the Black Bibles. Please follow along as I read. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Amen. Thanks be to God for his word. Please be seated. Again, today I'm talking with you about the importance of corporate worship, the importance of gathering with your church family and worshiping God together. And I realize in many ways I'm preaching to the choir, right? You're here. But again, nevertheless, it's important for us to to know these truths, to remember these truths so that they can carry us um, throughout our Christian life. So there's two parts to the sermon today. I'm going to try to be be brief, Um, but... uh, Part number one is simply, what is worship, right? If we're going to talk about a commitment of ours is worshiping the triune God, well, we need to know what is worship, right? What does that mean? What does it look like to worship God? And then secondly, then, why is corporate worship important? And under that heading, I'll I'll give four uh, reasons. So first off, what is worship? Well, worship is acknowledging the greatness of, of our God. It's acknowledging, ascribing the greatness of our God. If you look at the, the word itself in the Bible, there are actually two groups of terms that are uh, translated worship, right? Whether it's from the Hebrew in the Old Testament or the Greek in the New, uh, all those terms kind of can be lumped into two groups. One group refers to labor or service. This usually um, was found in the Old Testament when it's talking about the priests in the tabernacle or the temple uh, worshiping the Lord, carrying out service to the Lord. Okay, but this is important. This will help us understand what worship is. So that's one nuance of it. It's labor or service. Uh, And that shows us that worship is active, right? Worship is something we do as an act of service to God. Did you notice that from Psalm 96? I mean, he's, he's saying, I'm praising the Lord. And he's calling other people, ascribe to the Lord greatness. I want you to give the Lord something. I want you to give him your worship. Right? So worship is active, it's not passive. And that's important for us to understand, right? Because we're, we're used to being in other situations where it's passive, right? You know, we just kind of plop down in front of the TV or in front of the movie screen or whatever it is and just kind of like, okay, now entertain me, right? Well, church is not like that or it shouldn't be like that, right? You're not coming here to just kind of plop down and, and be entertained right you're coming here to actually do something you're coming here to give the lord something to give him your worship 
to give him your praise. That, so that was the one group of terms, um, this, this labor or service. The other group, and this is maybe what you're even more familiar with, the other group of terms in the Bible that ends up being translated worship literally means bowing or bending the knee. All right, so we sang, here I am to worship, here I am to bow down. That's, that's what the word often means, to bow down, to, to, and that, of course, indicates pain, homage, right? To, it's, it's honoring the, the worth, honoring the greatness of another. So to worship God is to bow before his absolute authority. So when we worship God, we are honoring God. We're bowing before him, right? At least in our hearts we should be, right? Even as we stand and sing, we're, we're bowing before him. We're saying, God, you are awesome. You are completely other than me, right? You are holy, and I, I worship you. I, uh, I adore you. I bow before your holiness and your majesty and your power. So that's what we're doing when we're worshiping. We're bowing before his authority, his, his almighty power. We sang that, right? We're bowing before his unlimited wisdom. We're honoring God. We're paying homage to him because he is holy, right? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. Holy means to be set apart. He's unique. We're saying, Lord, there's no one else like you. No one else in all of creation is like you. And in fact, you're, you're even distinct from your creation, right? You created all things, but you exist apart from creation. You have life in and of yourself. Worship is adoration. We heard that in one of our songs today, didn't we? We worship, we praise, we adore the Lord. So again, I hope this is helping you just kind of be reminded or flesh out, what does it look like to worship God? It shouldn't be something mechanical, right? It shouldn't be, okay, here I am to worship. Here, You know, just kind of, you know. I mean, we're adoring him, right? We're, we're saying, Lord, you are beautiful, when we think about your, your attributes, and we saw that in Psalm 96, right? I mean, they're just, he's talking about the different attributes of God. His, his glory, his marvelous works, his, his, his steadfast love, his, his wisdom, his, his uh, faithfulness. We're adoring him. He's beautiful. We're expressing our sincere love. So worship should not be mechanical. It shouldn't be stoic. It should be heartfelt. Again, I'm not talking about you've got to dance around or anything like that. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying it should be coming from the heart. That's all I'm saying, right? Um, So as we focus on God, who God is, as we focus on and consider what he's done for us, our hearts should be filled with love and adoration. And so we automatically respond in worship and praise. So worship is our response Get this now. Worship is our response to the truth of who God is and what he's done. So worship is our response to how God has revealed himself to us, right? So, for example, we, when we sang a song like this today, um, God has revealed to us that he is one God who exists in three persons, Father, Son, Spirit, right? So we worship him that way. We worship him according to how he has revealed himself. In other words, we're not to craft God according to our own imagination and then worship him. I think one of the 
secular guys on there was doing that in the video, right? I'll have to hear it in context, but he's like, you know, my God wouldn't do that, you know. Well, no, how has God revealed himself, right? That's who God is. We don't get to define who he is. No, he has defined who he is. He's revealed who he is. And then we respond to that and worship him for that. So we worship him according to his revelation in the word and in his son, Jesus Christ, primarily. And then, of course, um, when God has saved us, then we can even, you know, even creation uh, stirs us to worship the Lord, right? Because that does reveal other things about him because we, we know what he has said about himself in the word. And so creation prompts us to that. Of course, when we talk about worship, we, we understand the Bible explains we were created to worship God. Do you know that? Every single one of us. That's our purpose in life is to worship God, to know him, and to bring glory to him. Um, as as the, the one catechism says, um, the chief end of man is to, to know God and, and uh, glorify him forever, right? Um, or enjoy him forever, I think it says. So that's our, that's our purpose. That's why we were created. But then, of course, sin um, totally disrupted that. Right? Because instead of us worshiping God as our creator and as with the, according to the truth he's revealed, we instead, what is sin? Sin is actually us choosing to worship something else. And usually at the root of that is we're worshiping ourselves rather than God. Right? So that, again, kind of shows the seriousness of sin. Here, God created us. He is the only one worthy of worship. But when we sin, we're actually worshiping ourselves and so that of course separated us from God left us all deserving of his eternal punishment under his wrath but again praise God for the gospel praise God for who he is he's a a loving God he's a forgiving God he mercifully sent his son the Lord Jesus Christ to rescue his people from the wrath they deserve by bearing it in their place And so Christ suffered and died on the cross as a sacrifice for sin. And that's what he was doing. He was was bearing the sin, bearing the punishment of his people there that they deserved. Though he was sinless, he was taking that up on himself willingly. Willingly being forsaken from the Father. He died on the cross and then on the third day rose from the dead. Showing that the Father accepted his payment. Showing that, that... Indeed, all who believe in him, all who embrace him as Lord and Savior are saved from the wrath of God. If you're in Christ by, through faith, you will never face God's wrath. You've been forgiven. You've been delivered. And so that should stir us to worship, right? And, and by doing that, by saving us, we've actually been redeemed then to fulfill our original purpose, right? We were to worship God. We sinned. We, we failed to do that. God has graciously saved us through Christ so that we can worship him again in spirit and in truth. As a matter of fact, now we have even more reason to worship him, don't we? Right? Because now we're not only worshiping him as creator and all his, his glorious attributes that he displays, but now we also are, are worshiping him for saving us, for having mercy on us. For setting his love before the foundation of the world, it's, it's even more than we can comprehend. But for him 
setting his love on us, choosing to save us, though there was nothing in us that deserved to be saved. What amazing love, what amazing grace. So much to worship God for, isn't it? And so now, having been saved from our sins, having been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ, now we have even more to praise God for. Ephesians 1 talks about all of that is to the praise of his glory, right? When it's talking about all the spiritual blessings we have in Christ. 1 Peter 2.9 says, We've been called out of darkness and into his marvelous light to proclaim the excellencies of his name. So that's why we've been saved, is to worship him. That is our purpose. Now we've experienced greater depths of his love. Now we've experienced his grace. So we respond with heartfelt praise and adoration for all that God has done by saving us in Christ. So I'm saying all that to say, loved ones, worship is not just to be one segment of your life, right? I mean, we're focusing on corporate worship today, or we're going to. And so obviously that's at a certain time of your life, right? When, we, when the body comes together. But we know we've been saved. All of our life is to be worship, right? Romans 12 talks about that. How we, how we live moment by moment. Of course, times of private worship, but then even how we carry out our, our, our tasks. We do that as a sacrifice of praise to the Father. So worship is to, be, is to entail our whole life. Likewise, then, when we come together as a church, worship is not just one thing we should be doing as a church, really. I mean, I know we'll talk about, okay, this is our worship service, and this is, you know, Sunday school, or this is prayer meeting, and I understand that. But really, again, all of our existence as a church should be ultimately to worship God, right? Even if we're coming for a, a, a seminar, a parenting seminar or something, right? You know, we're, we're learning so that we can glorify God um, in how we live and how we raise our kids, right? So all of life is to be worship. And again, we're focusing today on public worship. Obviously, public worship does not replace private worship. Hopefully, our corporate worship on Sundays is the overflow, and it should be the culmination of our worship all throughout the week, right? Times of private worship and and living in, in communion with God. Okay? Another um, point I want to make about this, because I think this gets misunderstood. Worship is not just the singing part of the service, right? When we talk about our worship service, right? It's, it's not like, okay, well, uh, you know, I was late and I missed the worship, but then I got there for the preaching or whatever. No. Worship is not just the singing part. We worship God. Remember what it means. We acknowledge his greatness through all aspects of our worship service. We worship God through singing, through giving, right? Through bringing our, our, our gifts and offerings to him. Through the reading of scripture. We're, we're bowing before his authority. We're saying this is his holy word. And we want to know you and we want to respond to you as you have revealed yourself. So we're, we're worshiping God as we, through the public reading of scripture. We worship, likewise, we worship God through the proclamation of Scripture, through the preaching. Right? We're saying, you, I want to know you. You are what I need. I want to respond to you. I want to, to um, bring my life more in conformity to your word, to what you've, how you've called me to live. We worship God through participating in the ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper. 
in all these different ways, we are acknowledging his greatness, right? We're honoring him. We're learning and responding to who God is and what he has done. So our worship should be God-centered. It should be Christ-centered. Uh, our, our God alone is worthy of our worship. We gather to worship our triune God. So, again, just, you know, we're, we're kind of just chewing on this, right? We're, we're just kind of chewing on it, trying to understand. Maybe, uh, maybe it's correcting some of our behavior, some patterns we've fallen into that are not, not the best, okay? So, worship is, again, focusing on and responding to who God is. So, get this now. We are not worshiping if we're not thinking about God, Right? And I've been there, right? I mean, we've all been there. You know, you're, you're, you're singing the song, right? And you've sung it enough that you, you know, you're, you're actually keeping in, in step with the music or whatever. You're, sing, you're mouthing the words, but your mind is somewhere completely else, right? You're thinking about a million other things. When we do that, we're not worshiping God, are we? We're not focusing on who God is. If during the sermon... I'm sure this doesn't happen to any of you guys, but if during the sermon <laughs> your mind is wandering to your to-do list or what you're going to do for the rest of the day or, wow, my stomach is really hungry, when is he going to be done, right, you know? When, when that happens, when you lose that focus, you're, you've really ceased to worship, right? You're not focusing on God. You're not responding to who he is. So worship is not passive. I've said that, but... Now I'm talking mentally passive. We should not come to church mentally passive and expect to meet with God. And so now I want to talk about preparation, right? And we recognize there's a spiritual battle going on here, right? We live in a fallen world. We have an enemy of our souls, and he certainly doesn't want us to worship God. And we know the Bible talks about, you know, as the seed is sown, the, the enemy tries to snatch it up, right? And, and we know greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. But we just need to be sober-minded about this, right? That we, we can't just be on cruise control and come here and, and think, oh, I'm, I'm going to worship God. No, we have to be um, prepared and focused uh, spiritually, physically. We're, we're physical creatures, right? So, you know... It's important that we get to bed at a good time on Saturday night. Because if we don't, we're setting ourselves up to, to probably not worship God as well as, as we could, as well as he deserves, right? We need to prepare our hearts ahead of time. And again, I know Sunday mornings are crazy. And, you know, um, it's been a long time since I've had to put shoes on my kids, <laughs> right? You know, they, they've done, been doing that themselves for a long time. So I'm not picking on that. I'm, so... Every person's going to have to figure out how they can do that. But just, you know, be praying, even as you're driving to church, God, please help me to worship you today. Prepare your heart for worship. Get your mind engaged as we begin our worship service. And by that, I'm not saying, by the way, that we have to come in all somber, you know. I'm not saying that. I mean, I think there should be a reverence. But, I mean, there can be a joy, right? Man, I'm, we're, we're together. We're getting to worship the Lord together. Wow, we're getting to, and we'll look at this, we're getting to come into his heavenly courts with our praise. That's amazing, right? And so let's, let's do what we can to prepare our hearts, not to just dash in here without thinking or preparation. 
So pray about that. What does that look like for, for you and your family? When we come to church, our focus, or when we come to worship, right? When, and we know that the church is the people. When the people of God gather together to worship, when we come to a worship service, we should not be focused on what am I going to get out of this, right? Now, praise God, he blesses us, right? He, he, he has the, 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 the healing and grace our hearts hunger for, like we sang. I mean, he blesses us because we are made to worship God. So as we do that, we're blessed, we're filled, we're, we're uh, cleansed, we're renewed, all these things. But we have come to focus on God. It's not about us. Right? And again, we have to really shift that mindset because by nature, we're all bent toward ourselves. We're consumers by nature, and let alone living in the West just uh, feeds that, right? So we don't come thinking, well, what am I going to get out of it? Or we don't evaluate it at the end like, well, I didn't get anything out of that. No, we say, I've come to give worship to God. I've come to tell Him to show him how great he is, to declare that. I've come to, to bring my, my praises, my adoration to God. And this is amazing, loved ones. We worship, when we worship God, it brings pleasure to him. The Bible talks about how he, uh, you know, the, the praise of his people, the, the prayers of his people, the worship of his people is like that, that sweet aroma, right, you know, from the Old Testament when they would, would bring the sacrifice and it would go up as a, as a pleasing aroma to the Lord. The Bible describes our worship that way. And again, God doesn't need us. He's not lacking in any way. I'm not saying that, but we can bring a smile to his face as we worship him. Isn't that exciting, right? That What a privilege that is, that we get to... to um, bring him pleasure as we worship him. All right, so that was the first heading. What is worship? Hopefully that just solidified some of that in your mind and, and reminded you of, of, of what that should look like. Now this, the second part here in the last part of the sermon is why is corporate worship important? Why is corporate worship important? Because, you know, right, there's obviously times of private worship and you can be doing all the things I was saying, ascribing greatness to him and, and things privately, and you, and you should be. But why is coming together with your brothers and sisters in Christ as a church, as a local church, why is that kind of worship important? I'll give you four reasons. Try to go through these quickly. Reason number one, God is glorified when we worship together. Okay, can you turn in your Bibles, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 14? Again, I mentioned it's kind of topical today. We're going to be looking at different passages. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. That's page 960 if you're using the Black Bibles. I want to look at 24, but especially verse 25. And we're jumping right into, I mean, if you remember Corinthians, Paul was having to deal with the Corinthian church. They were all divided over, over the, the miraculous gifts and of, of, of tongues and, and prophecy. So in chapter 14, he's, he's really contrasting the two and saying how prophecy is more edifying and for the church. I'm not getting into all of that. But, but that sets this, the stage for verse 25, which is what I really want us to focus on. But the sentence begins in verse 24. 
But if all prophesy, 1 Corinthians 14, 24, if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He's called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so, look at this response. Falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. So this is showing us that when we gather together to worship, and we're going to develop this even more in a moment, the presence of God we have an oppor- is here with us in a, a special way, and we have an opportunity to display his presence, to, to display his glory to each other and even to unbelievers. So God is glorified in a special way when his people come together to worship him. So here, you know, again, we're, this is not the mindset that was popular, you know, 20 years ago or so of having a seeker-sensitive service. This isn't saying, oh, let's, let's, you know, dumb everything down and let's just make entertainment. Let's try to look like the world so that we can attract unbelievers and keep them interested. No, actually it's saying, the principle is right the opposite. It's saying when the people of God gather together and are truly worshiping God, as they're declaring how great he is, as they're, as they're giving him honor, as they're worshiping him through the preaching of the word, the reading of the word, through prayers, through singing, even in the way they treat each other, that an unbeliever can see that, and by God's grace working in his heart, he can say, there's something different going on here. <laughs> God is in that place. Right? And so... That shows the glory we can bring to God and how God can use it for in the lives of others, right? The Spirit of God taking the Word of God, the Spirit of God filling us as we interact with each other. It can, God can use that to open the eyes of unbelievers, convict them of their own sin, show them something of the beauty of Christ crucified. So what an, what an amazing opportunity that, oh, that unbelievers would come to our gatherings and that they would learn something about God, that they would experience something about the nature of God just through our worship, that they would experience something about the nature of Christ from being with us as we worship. That Abounding Grace Church would be a place where people could come and meet with God. Isn't that what we want? That's what we all need. We need to come and meet with God in a special way. And that's what unbelievers need as well. That they would know something of God's holiness and power and worth by observing our worship. That they would come to understand more about his love and mercy and forgiveness from our worship. And from how we interact as a a body of believers. That God would use our worship to proclaim who he is and draw more people into a saving relationship with him. That leads me into our second reason why corporate worship is important. I've already kind of mentioned this, and the the text led us that way. God is experienced in unique ways through corporate worship. God is experienced in unique ways through corporate worship. Obviously, God is omnipresent. God is everywhere, right? We can always meet with God. But the Bible teaches that God is present in a special way in the midst of his people. Even in the Old Testament, Psalm 22.3 says, God inhabits the praise of his people. God, in other words, God is enthroned on the praises of his people is what that verse literally says. 
And so when we come to worship God, we come to the place where God is enthroned and we're declaring his majesty, we're declaring his authority. As Christians, again, privately, we're, bl- we're blessed that we can worship God on our own anywhere, anytime. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says that each individual believer is a temple of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God indwells each believer. And so we, it makes each one of us a temple, a temple of the Holy Spirit. So we can worship, the temple was where you went to worship God, right? The temple was where you went to meet with God. So we can worship God on our own anywhere. But the Bible also teaches that collectively we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, of the temple of God. You're still in 1 Corinthians, flip back to chapter 3, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Again, Paul's needing to teach the Corinthians about the nature of the church because they were so divided, and he's saying, guys, you know, you can't be that way. Don't you understand what the church is? So up in verse 9 of chapter 3, he says, for we are God's fellow workers, and you are God's field, God's building." And all, all the verses I'm about to share with you, by the way, the you is in the plural. Right? We can, the Greek tells us that. So he's, he's not just saying you individually. He's saying you all. Right? You all are God's building. Stay there in chapter 3. Go down to verse 16. Do you not know that you, again plural, are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? And, and then again, he 17 is getting to his application, right? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. He says the same thing in his, his other letter to them that we have preserved for us. 2 Corinthians 6, 16. You are the temple of the living God. Now flip ahead to Ephesians. It isn't just in Corinthians that he says this. Flip ahead to Ephesians chapter 2. Here Paul's describing what God is doing through his son Jesus Christ, through this new humanity, the new creation that he's, he's, he's redeeming, saving, and creating. Verse 19, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. He's talking to them plural, right? You guys together are being dwelt, built uh, together as a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. A dwelling place for God. One more verse. First Peter chapter 2, right? We're working our way through the New Testament here. First Peter chapter 2, verse 5. Of course, he talks about how Jesus was the living stone that was rejected, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, became the cornerstone. Verse 5, you yourselves, Peter says, you believers, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So all those passages are teaching, in essence, the same thing. God is, together you are a place where God's spirit dwells in a special way. Together, you are a place, a, a royal priesthood. What did priests do? They brought, their, they brought the sacrifices and praise for the people, right? You're a holy temple. That's where people met with God. That's where praise was offered to God. So together, you're a place where God has, God's glory dwells in a special way. 
in the church. When we come together, God's glory dwells among us in a special way. Right? God doesn't dwell in buildings anymore. I mean, he hasn't, you know, like in the Old Testament where he'd, he'd put his presence in a special way in the, in, in the tabernacle and then in the temple. No, he's not doing that anymore with buildings. He's doing it with people. Individually, yes, but especially together as the body. And so what all that means is, again, what do we need most? We need to meet with God. We need to know God. We need to experience God. And you can experience God in a special way when you come together to worship with the church. When God's people meet together in the name of Christ, God draws near in a special way. That is unlike any other time. Okay? Reason number three. We strengthen one another through worshiping together. We strengthen one another through worshiping together. If you're in Peter, just flip back a few pages to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Again, we're jumping, you know, in, in the middle of an uh, important passage and, you know, that he's laid a lot of theological f- groundwork already. But for the sake of time, just look at verse 24. Let us consider how to stir up one another. Hebrews 10, 24. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, verse 25, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Right? So he's saying, guys, keep meeting together and, and as you meet together, again, be focused on how you can serve one another, right? I was talking about... We, Our primary focus should be on worshiping God and giving him glory, ascribing to him how great he is, and that's true. And then second, our second focus should be how can I serve and help my brother and sister in Christ? And of course, they happen simultaneously, right? As we're praising God, others are encouraged. We encourage each other through our praise. And this was important for the original hearers of, of Hebrews to, to hear because they were in a situation where God had saved them out of Judaism. They're experiencing a lot of persecution. The, many of them were being tempted to um, give up on their faith. Many of them were being tempted to abandon it and to go back to the old ways of Judaism so they wouldn't be persecuted anymore. And the author here, God through the, the human author, is saying, don't do that. And one of my main means of grace for you not to do that, for you not to give up the faith for you to hold fast that confession, it says right before this, is through the meeting together of the saints. Because when you meet together, you're encouraged, you're strengthened. Right? You realize, I'm not running this race all by myself. Right? There are other people worshiping God with me. There are other people who are seeking to, to, to be salt and light in this world. There are other people going through trials, incredible trials, right? Painful trials. And yet, by God's grace, they're still trusting the Lord. They're still clinging to Christ. They're still, like we saw last week, I was so blessed by the testimony time. They're still up here declaring how faithful God is, even through all the trials. Wow, that brings glory to God, and that strengthens the faith of each other, doesn't it? Because when we go through those trials, we're reminded, okay, God, you were faithful to help my brother through that trial. I know you'll be faithful to, 
to preserve me through this. We are strengthened and encouraged when we gather together. We're blessed and helped. And so that's why he says, don't neglect to meet together as is the habit of some. Right? This is one of sin's tactics is to get people to say, ah, I'm not going to go to church. I'm not going to gather together. Right? I'm just going to, I can worship God uh, uh, up in the mountains. I'm going to worship God at the coast this week, right? Um, you know what? I, I can just listen to a podcast. I can just uh, watch something on YouTube. I, I'm not going to go to meet together with the people of God. And again, I, I understand there's a, a health reasons sometimes why that has to be, but but sometimes people just fall into that habit, right? And and what happens more often than not is, if, if they don't, by God's grace, correct that, is they start to actually fade away from the faith. Because God designed it for us to strengthen and encourage one another by coming together to worship. And yeah, quickly, I'll just share you know, an, another application of that. It's on my heart now because we're, we're getting ready to start it up is even our young adult study. You know how encouraging it would be if, if all you young adults would come to that on Sundays, right? To encourage the ones who do come, right? That, hey, we're all in this together. We're a family. This is a family event. Let's do this together. Let's come and study and, 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 and fellowship together as we seek to grow and understand the atonement and worship Christ and and hold fast to our confession, even though the world is, is spouting its false teaching and lies. We can encourage and help each other. There's accountability and encouragement when we meet together. One more passage. You can just write it down. I'll read it to you. But um, that speaks to this. Ephesians chapter 5. And then, of course, Colossians has a, a parallel passage very similar. But Ephesians 5.18 says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, and it's talking about in the context of the church now, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So you see, we give our praise to God but as we do that, we're actually teaching and helping each other, it says. Last reason, and we'll be done. Fourth reason that I want to share with you today why uh, corporate worship is important. Corporate worship is a foretaste of heaven. Corporate worship is a foretaste of heaven. If you're still in Hebrews, uh, flip over to Hebrews chapter 12. I don't have much time to try to um, explain this, this passage, but I'll, I'll just give it to you and you can chew on it later. Of course, you know the book of Hebrews, he, oftentimes he's, um, he's contrasting the old covenant with the new, right? You know, the new covenant that Christ has inaugurated is, is far superior to the old covenant, right? The old has had its purpose and God's plan, but it's obsolete, it's fading away. The new covenant, though, is, is here forever, and so in this passage, he's again kind of doing that. He talks about when Moses got the old covenant on the Mount 
on Mount Sinai, right, and all that was happening there. But then in verse 22, Hebrews 12, he says, But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Obviously, we're kind of toward the tail end of Hebrews here, right? So he's laid so much groundwork talking, again, about the superiority of Jesus, what he has done. He wasn't like the other priests, right, who would enter into the the earthly sanctuary. Jesus entered all the way into the heavenly sanctuary, the heavenly throne room of God, and offered the once-for-all sacrifice of himself. And having done that, he tore the veil. Now we all have access. Now we all can worship in the heavenly throne room of God. And that's what this passage is saying And this kind of, again, blows your mind. When we gather together to worship right now, like we are physically in this this office building, (laughs) we're actually in some way united with the saints in heaven and the angels in heaven who are worshiping God. Right? It's like we're we're together worshiping around the heavenly throne room of God. (laughs) That's awesome, isn't it? And that's, that's amazing, and, and again, it's, it's just reminding us of the fact that worship, corporate worship, is like a foretaste of heaven. Because what is heaven going to be? Heaven's going to be the glory of God, the, the, the presence of God in a, in a way we've never experienced before, right? The saints of God gathered around and worshiping the Lord, worshiping the Lamb who was slain. And as we worship God now, it's, it's like a little preview of that. It's like we're getting a little taste of that. Something I read this week I'd never thought about. But I pass it on to you, and I mean, I think it's true. It, the Bible never describes private worship in heaven. The Bible never describes private worship in heaven. Any picture of heaven we get shows congressional worship. And so nothing else more resembles heaven then when we gather together as the people of God, as, as the body of Christ, and we worship together. It's a preview of what we'll have for eternity, right? And again, think of what heaven's going to be, a place where we're worshiping God, a place of no more evil, no more sin, no more pain, no more death. And, and obviously, in, in very, um, we fall way short of that here. But it is to be like that little sanctuary. It's to be like that little uh, piece of heaven here on earth. It's kind of like a little safe place to come, right? We live in this fallen world. We battle the world, the flesh, and the devil. And it's like we can come here as, for like rest. We can come here for, for refreshment. We can come here like it's like we're in a desert all, all, all week long, right? Uh, and we can come here and it's like a little oasis for us to get recharged and refreshed and, and to remind us of, of, of our future hope, of our inheritance that's to come that will be with God forever, with the saints, praising him in a place of, of, of no more sin, no more pain. And so we get a little foretaste of that here. Again, we, we foul it up because we're still sinners, right? But I, I think many of us have experienced that, haven't we? When, you know, it's just worship together and, 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 and fellowshipping together and, and talking about the things of the Lord and encouraging one another in the Lord, and we're just so blessed and refreshed. 
And it's like God's given you a little taste, a little taste of what's to come, except what's to come is gonna be a hundred times better, right? So praise God. And we say, come quickly, Lord Jesus, because in heaven, God's glory will be on display in full view. And then we'll respond with perfect worship. But let us be training our hearts to do that now, right? And as I've been explaining that, you know, many of us, myself included, are probably convicted, like, wow, I am not worshiping God like I should, right? I, sometimes my heart's cold when I come to worship, right? And again, this is where the gospel comes in. Christ died for our sins of self-worship. He died for our sins of, of cold-heartedness, of, of ingratitude, of, of being distracted by the things of the world, whatever the case may be. Christ died for that. So confess, repent of those sins, uh, preach the gospel to yourself, and ask God for grace that you can grow in your worship, that you can come with a a God-centered focus with an other's focus, not with a consumer mentality. And then throughout the week, let us be training our hearts for worship. Let us be spending time in private worship, training our heart. It prepares us for corporate worship and it prepares us for our eternal home in heaven. All right, let's pray. Father, we, we do bow before you. We do worship you. We honor you and adore you for who you are. And again, I know our words sometimes seem so inadequate, but yet we, we offer what we can now. We do praise you and love you. We thank you for all that you've done for us. We praise you for who you are. We know there's no one like you. We praise you for the gift of, of salvation through, your Lord, through our Lord Jesus Christ. And I thank you for the, for the body of Christ. I thank you that you've not saved us to live this life on our own that you've placed, placed us in a body of believers here, that you've given gifts to different ones to, to, to help and to serve. We all need each other, Father. And so help us to worship you. Help us be a display of your glory that others would see and, and come to know you and that your, your people can be encouraged. I pray you'll, even today, draw any to yourself who don't know you. Um, convict them of their sin, but show them Uh, the glory of Christ crucified and, and risen. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Will you stand, please, and we'll, we're gonna continue to worship the Lord with the song.